0: There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nara Youssef, and today we're talking with a Cleveland Clinic experts about foodborne illnesses such as listeria, norovirus, salmonella, and much, much more. So make sure you guys stay tuned in. And to answer your questions about this topic, we have with us Dr. Christine Lee, a gastroenterologist here at Cleveland Clinic Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute. Thank you so much for coming back.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. And before we begin, please remember this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So many different disease-causing germs can contaminate foods. So there are many different foodborne infections, and based on the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, researchers have identified that more than 250 foodborne diseases are out there. It also estimated that each year, 48 million people get sick from a foodborne illness, with 128,000 people hospitalized and 3,000 die from this disease. first of all let's talk about how should you know about a foodborne illness how do you know that it's existing and what's causing it
1: um you mean if they feel that they have the disease themselves yeah and how
0: do we even know about it as an as an announcement is this how do people know about the foodborne illnesses
1: um generally the cdc has um, a communication line with either the restaurants or the supermarket where they shop Mm -hmm. so if you had purchased uh, an item that's on recall. Uh, Especially if you signed up for um, one of those uh, rewards program where they have uh, access to your email or your phone number, you will get a computerized, automated messaging um, message that will be sent to you, either the email that you have listed or the phone number that you have listed. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you may have to rely on um, local news where they um, let people know from especially if there's outbreaks in a particular community or a particular site um, oftentimes what i've seen when i do go to my grocery stores they'll have a sign out that says you know roaming lettuce from such and such date um, are on recall and and so a lot of times it's either at the local supermarkets or the restaurants that you've uh, purchased or consumed products at or your email or phone number or uh, social media. Social <laughs> media, that's where I find myself. That's where I find my <laughs> stuff as well.
0: <laughs> so what causes foodborne illnesses? Are the germs, bacteria, what's going
1: on? Yeah, it? so foodborne illnesses is a, just a very broad um, terminology that encompasses many different, uh, it, which divides into many different subcategories. Mm-hmm. So uh, it could be bacterial, which is, uh, you know, a of bacteria that uh, can make you ill. Um, There's another subset that's virus-related, that's, um, and then there's parasites, um, and there's also just toxins from bacteria that produces toxins, so there's different categories.
0: So is it the way that something is, is it the farm or where is it originating from how how are how is our food or our products getting contaminated
1: so um depending on the organism like the bacteria like e coli is a common factor uh, those are usually fecal oral. So, if the cows or the animals that are on the pastures um, that roam around um, have fertilized the soil naturally Mm -hmm. and they round up the vegetables or the lettuce or the produce, and it gets transported in mass transit to your local stores, it really is up to the consumer's responsibility to make sure that you wash your produce and wash them well.
0: Great, great. And we'll get to that about prevention here in a bit. But first, I want to talk about what is considered an outbreak.
1: An outbreak is when you have um, more than one case or more cases than what's normally expected in a certain community Mm -hmm. or an area uh, that's out of the norm. So an outbreak could be
0: two or more people?
1: Definitely, yes, yes. Especially if it's something really rare that it's not common to even have one case. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there's two or more in a small group of uh, area or a community, then it can be considered as an outbreak.
0: Okay, so let's say I'm on social media and just like recently, I think just uh, the end of 2018, they were talking about goldfish crackers or um that could be contaminated i believe salmonella and when i think of salmonella i think of raw chicken (laughs) i think of food not being handled properly but something like goldfish um What is the first thing to do when you see something like that? And especially if you know that you're giving it to your children or your family.
1: Sure, so when there is a concern, uh, most of the time when they do uh, make a public announcement, they will tell you, you know, it's a lot, they'll give you a lot number or an expiration date number because uh, crackers or any food items that are produced in mass production, they have lot numbers or they have the same expiration date. So if they'll say, if you purchased uh, goldfish crackers or whatever the food item might be from you know, June to November and has an expiration date of, and they'll tell you the exact expiration date. If you have them, then you can just throw them out or return them um, to the uh, store that you purchased them in.
0: And if I already know that I consumed them or gave them to someone, is it, should I go get checked out right away or if I'm okay, I, I'm good yep. to go?
1: In general, if you're okay, you might have dodged a bullet. A lot of times, when these recalls are sent out, they're being extra precautionary. Mm-hmm. So even if it was one or two cases, they'll just recall the entire batch or the b- entire production line because they could have been cross-contaminated during packaging uh, process. So therefore, when they do have a recall, m- most of them is not all contaminants, but they just do that on a safety precautionary. Um, uh, measures, me- measures. Mm-hmm. so the safest thing is just throw it out, throw it out.
0: Yeah. Okay. and there's no way that I can tell if something is contaminated by just looking at it correct
1: uh, sometimes you can I mean if you bought sausages let's say for an example and then you brought it home and it they're usually all vacuum sealed airtight mm-hmm. but if yours is bubbling gas then that's a good <laughs> sign that that's pretty contaminated and mm-hmm. you okay. should probably not even bother opening it and just, th- throw, that just throw that out that
0: out So if I eat something and I feel sick to my stomach, how do I know it's food poisoning versus something else with similar symptoms?
1: That can be kind of tricky. So a lot of times, you know, a lot of different factors can cause a little bit of uh, upset stomach or nervous stomach or sick stomach. So Mm -hmm. usually things that are not serious will just kind of come and go. So if you have a little bit of uh, what we call my stomach's not feeling right, but as long as it's short-lived low intensity and you get better on your own then it's not anything to panic about Uh, that being said if you i mean no one knows your body better than yourself and if you realize hey something is definitely off i've got fevers i got chills i'm having horrible nausea i'm vomiting or terrible diarrhea that's completely not your norm and you happen to have eaten a questionable item that may or may not have been uh, on recall that you are aware of; those you might want to uh, check out, you know, get seen by your local physician and make sure that um, you're doing okay.
0: Okay, so that was kind of going to be my next question. I've been around people. I've had food poisoning, and I've been around people where we had to stop the car. On the side yeah. of the highway, they were feeling sick. When is it um, okay to kind of just go through it at home, yeah. and when is it time to go
1: see a physician? Sure, you know our body is inc- it's amazing. We have the, we have this incredible resilience. Um, so many protective pathways that are actually built in within our body. So even starting with the contact of the saliva, we have digestive enzymes that start breaking down things. And even if you did enjoy, ingest uh, bacteria, that's potentially not, uh, uh, that's harmful for you. It really has to do with the load of ingestion, how much exposure you uh, uh, ingested, and the strength of your immune system. So most people have a pretty strong intact immune system. So that would kind of exclude the people that are on special circumstances, or are on immunomodulating, age, agents or medication that suppress their immune system or they have other unfortunate medical conditions that suppress their immune system. Now that is a different category on your own but for the most of us who are out active without significant comorbidities that are not taking immunosuppressive medication, most of the time we can recover from any of these insults on our own Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably safer to do so uh, than to go to a hospital and get uh, subjected to invasive tests sure, that sure. may have risks of it on its own. So our
0: body might, may be able to take care of it on its own. Right. But you're saying there is uh, a chance that someone could be at a higher risk for developing this illness if they have a lower immune system. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So, so, and, and you... So y- the extreme ends of the ages, so the very young and the very old tend to have for the young obviously they have an immature immune system, mm-hmm. so it tends to be a little bit weaker and the elderly spectrum their you know m- immune system declines with age so they're at risk pregnant p- um, patient p- pregnant population that in itself suppresses your immune system because your body's being taxed with um, uh, growing a baby yeah. um, um, those fit patients who are unfortunate to have um, uh, suffer from cancers or on their chemotherapy agents or another subgroup who have autoimmune disorders that have uh, medications that suppress your overactive immune system, they may be at higher risk. I see. So
0: it could be two people going to eat together and one of them gets really sick and one of them doesn't.
1: Absolutely. That, that's very very system. common. Yes.
0: Okay. So let's talk about dietary restrictions or recommendations that are maybe given to those suffering from these foodborne illnesses? Besides don't eat and drink a lot of water?
1: (laughs) Sure, in the setting of an acute uh, illness, Mm -hmm. the best is to kind of stick to a brat diet. You know, that would be the breads, uh, rice rice pudding, or applesauce toast, bananas, something bland. So you wanna stay away from Um, food that is a little bit more challenging for your digestive tract to digest. So uh, simple foods that's easy to digest, like mashed potatoes, um, bananas that have a lot of potassium in it. So you want to avoid from high greasy, fried, spicy foods um, in that acute illness setting, just to uh, make your stomach or digestive uh, tract um, less taxing to digest those foods. So
0: it's kind of like the same diet you would have with diarrhea.
1: Exactly, right. Or, you know, chicken noodle soup. Uh, Yeah, lots of water. Lots of water. (laughs) water. And the key is not just water. Um, Water is isotonic. So if you are acutely ill and you're losing a lot of water through diarrhea, or insensible losses of water because you're uh, having a fever and you're sweating and you're losing a lot of fluids that way. The best replenishment isn't exactly water. It really should be a not isotonic fluid. So that would be more of the fluids with that has solutes in it, whether it's salt, sugar, or um, electrolytes.
0: Electrolytes, so something like Gatorade pickle juice? Sure,
1: a Gatorade, water with yes. um, sugar in it or water with salt in it, and that's why broth would be very helpful. Because of the high solute um, content. So, what happens is when you consume uh, that kind of fluid, then you tend to keep that fluid in your body and it's less likely to just run off or go straight to your kidneys and you uh, urinate it out or you have diarrhea output or you have uh, fever and so you lose a lot of insensible losses of fluid.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Okay, now let's talk about prevention. How do you prevent this from happening? What uh, food safety tips do you have here for
1: us? So your first line of barrier is actually your body. So you wanna always try to take care of your body. Make sure you sleep well, you eat well, you exercise. Uh, low stress, uh, whatever you can do to keep your body in the fittest uh, condition. The second thing would be um, anytime you have any produce or um, any foods that you come in contact with, try to wash them, especially if it's raw fruits or vegetables, make sure you wash them and wash them thoroughly. Oftentimes people see the sign um, organic and they feel that if it says organic, they can just bite right into it and, and just go right to it and organic just means it's free from Uh, chemical pesticides Pesticides, right so uh, cow manure is completely organic and so E. coli you know salmonella those are all organic if you will so if you do shop at those uh, supermarkets that are organic or oriented you're not out of the woods you you are safe to buy those but you still need to wash them
0: okay do you wash your uh, meats so, there's, there's that's right. So there's
1: controversy for that. So usually the meat, um, you know, if you have a steak mm-hmm. and you're going to sear it on, uh, on a grill, right. that you don't really need to wash because you're going to hit all the sides with high heat. Sure. Um, the inside, whether you cook it all the way through or not, if it's a solid meat, the bacteria can only live on the surfaces. So now that being said, if you're buying ground meat, like to pull surface areas, because it's all grounded and kneaded together, and therefore for the ground meats, you must cook it all the way through. So no pink in the middle in that sort of scenario. Um, the controversy is they do say some people recommend washing the not the ground meat, but the solid steak, the meats, um, but. The chicken, they recommend not washing at all, and the reason why is poultry tend to have much, much higher concentration of salmonella naturally. So when you turn your water faucet on, inevitably you have water splashing that splashes outward, whether you're aware of it or not, almost like a mist-like fashion. Mm -hmm. And people have seen salmonella or E. coli you know, ejected from the chicken, from the the power of the water pressure across the entire kitchen. So they feel for poultry it's not worth the risk, so they don't recommend you wash poultry at all and you just Boil them, bake them, or cook them. However you do it, but make sure you hit at least 165 degree Fahrenheit uh, cooking temperature, mm-hmm. and make sure you cook it all the way through, and no pink in the middle.
0: No pink in the middle. What Not about for poultry. That cook steak, and they like it uh, bloody or pretty rare, medium. I mean, so for sure yeah, okay. so
1: for steak, it's all about as long as it's prepped in a clean area, okay, where they didn't just slap that steak on top of uh, a poultry that they just uh, fixed up. As long as it's uh, prepped properly, um, if you sear both sides, the middle should be completely uncontaminated because um, the bacteria lives on the surfaces. Now, if the chef pierced their knife in the middle just to check something, and that thermometer or knife was contaminated, then you have a problem. But if it's a solid, intact uh, solid meat that no one's compromised or shredded in any way then searing on both sides as long as it's seared on both sides the middle can be uh whatever you uh, you can eat it how you like exactly it. that's okay, right medium but again not ground meat ground, not meat ground meat any hamburger meat anything that's been grounded must be cooked uh, completely through
0: so even a ha- like a hamburger patty needs to be cooked
1: absolutely no absolutely it's because, because it's all about the surface area right. so if it's a solid steak You can sear on both sides. The middle could be however you like. If it's a hamburger, which is meat, but that's grounded, you can imagine the surface area all the way through, including the middle. And therefore, hamburger meat or ground meat, any ground meat of any kind, can never be even medium or medium-wise. It should be cooked all the way through.
0: Okay, it's very, very good to know. So then, speaking of utensils, surfaces, um, the counter, all that, make sure that if you're using or if you're uh, handling something like chicken, raw chicken, you make sure you clean all that up before using that up again for like cutting vegetables.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, you always want to go clean to dirty. So if you're preparing a meal, make sure you do your fruits and vegetables or salads first and then uh, prepare the chicken dishes at the end as a last resort. That I usually just have the thought of going clean to dirty because it's just easier in a cleaning process now you can go backwards but you have to be very uh hyper vigilant about making sure you wash the the cutting board the knife right. the chopping dishes or even the surface area and particularly your hands and your nails okay
0: good to know so i want to talk about some of the power outages that happen here in some parts of the country uh, beginning of this week and uh thinking about your fridge or your freezer and the food that was sitting in there so, do we throw it all out? Are there exceptions? Are there a few hours here and there? What do we do if uh, the light went out or the electricity
1: went out? So, for most people who have uh, complete immunocompetent patients with no comorbidities, then you, depending on your level of risk taking, you may or may not contemplate uh, saving uh, some. But for those people who have a lot at stake, you know, they have. Uh, lymphoma or they have cancers or on chemo or they have a significant comorbidity that suppresses their immune system or they have a pregnant uh, family member in the home, it's just probably safe just not to take those chances and just throw it out. The other trick I was taught which is pretty cheap and easy and readily available for everyone is to get uh, a little paper cup of water Mm -hmm. and uh, fill it halfway with water, freeze it, and then put a little penny or dime, whatever you have, in the middle and then put the water on the other half. So now you've got a cup with uh, a penny. Yeah, coin that's in the middle. And you keep it in your freezer. So if you do have a power outage and that coin level is all the way to the bottom, then you know that your refrigerator or freezer had completely thawed too long and then all the meat should be thrown out. if uh, it's a simple trick that could be readily available in anybody yeah you could do a Dixie cup of water if you do a Dixie cup then just freeze the whole thing yeah put the penny on top put a saran wrap freeze it and leave it there whenever you go on a vacation and you heard from the neighbors that they had some spotty electrical um, outages if you come back and your penny is at the bottom of the cup then you know you need to throw all the meat out
0: okay now I want to ask you something. It might sound like a like a simple question or a simple answer, but when I go to the store and let's say I get some meats that is fresh or chicken, and then um, I'm not going to cook it that day, I put it in the freezer. I've heard before that once meat is thawed, you should not it back or fresh you should not put it back in the freezer
1: that's correct correct. that's correct so if you purchased uh chicken breast and it's already frozen from the store then it's okay to just take it straight into the freezer to freezer but once the meat has been thawed um, that allows the bacteria whatever even in the best handling of hands no meat is sterile so they'll have some Acceptable numbers of contaminants, but as long as they're frozen very quickly, yeah. it's an insignificant amount uh, that wouldn't harm anyone. Okay. And so once you thaw it out, it can start reproducing or um, getting much bigger than uh, a, a safe level, okay. and therefore you you should once it's been thawed, you probably should not uh, refreeze.
0: Okay. Um, now a lot of people marinate their chicken. Mm-hmm. I know I do. <laughs> For you know, in the fridge, maybe, I mean, are you supposed to just leave it for an hour or two? Is it okay to leave it in the fridge for a day while it's marinating? Yes, yes. It is okay.
1: Marinades um, generally involve a lot of sodium. Yes. So back in the olden days where they didn't have as much electricity, you know, like the beef jerkies and whatnot, they were able to offset the lack of refrigeration with the salt content. So a lot of the marinades, whether it's soy sauce or salt or some kind of... um, uh, ingredient that they use oftentimes kill the bacteria okay. because of the high solute level. It's oh,
0: good to know. Great. And then uh can an expired food give me a foodborne illness? Uh
1: can not c- just
0: chicken and meat, but sure. just like anything that's expired.
1: Sure, that that's um that's can vary from uh Depending on what the food what the item product, is yeah. um so if it's cereal, it's less likely it may be stale um, but if it's a produce then certainly yes yeah, uh, yeah, sh- sure, yeah. sure yeah. if it's like a um if it's a fruit or vegetable item, then I would definitely throw that out yeah. if it's um like expired box of sugar or cereal then it may be a little bit more soggier or stale but less likely that you would get sick from it.
0: Yeah and with the produce I mean with, with fruits and vegetables you can see it you can see what it looks like if it's starting to brown if it looks
1: correct funky, but now you like, have those items where the fruit are in, ser- in, in jars or oh glasses yeah. for They're snacks Yeah. So those are the ones you probably would need to be careful about.
0: Sure, and those probably have preservatives in them as well, correct? Sure,
1: sure, yes. And that's also a good point. If you buy organic, they will probably um, go bad on you quicker. So uh, they don't have as much preservatives or no preservatives, whatever the case may be. So in those cases, you really do need to be hyper vigilant.
0: Even though I see the organic milk... Has way longer expiration date than the normal gallon from the store.
1: Sure, that has to do with the pasteurization okay. and their ability to ship the products to your local supermarket. Um, depending on uh, how quickly they're able to mass ship, th- transport those to your uh, your store, you will see a longer refriger- uh, expiration date. Yeah. So, so yeah. it is pretty amazing what uh, the okay. transportations can do.
0: I know and, and thinking about that, you never think about how everything like it's a fresh produce, it's actually coming from a farm and still coming in on uh, trucks that are refrigerated and coming all the way to your store. And actually there's a there's sure.
1: a there just like, like when we buy that. things on, on online, it used to take a week or two, but now two days or right. less. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Express shipping. All right, well we're gonna go to some live questions. Okay, great. Uh, from Facebook here. So I have Greg. What are the most common foodborne illnesses?
1: Well that's kind of tough to say because um, most common is actually, vi- it depends on if you are including all categories or if you're just looking at viruses, bacteria, or parasites. Mm. So the most common overall category is, is usually viruses. Um, so. Those are because they're so readily transmittable from person to so person. Like a so, the uh, norovirus okay. is very po- uh, commonly known because of all the outbreaks that they had and the publicity that the cruise ships had. Uh, it's more common in people in close quarters, confined space. So, mm-hmm. uh, that got a lot of publicity. But, you know, rotavirus is also very common, and they have all the other viruses that are more kind of generic. They don't really have. Uh, the publicity power because it wasn't born on on a cruise ship. But a lot of viruses, kind of like the common cold, we all know about the influenza A and B, but that's not the most common cause of flu. Uh, Those are the one that's most deadliest and that's why we vaccinate for influenza A and B. But most common flu isn't the influenza A and B, it's all those other viruses that doesn't have a specific name for. Wow,
0: that's very interesting, great. Thank you. And then we have Edward. Does your gut biome affect your resistance to food poisoning?
1: So your gut biome can increase your protective barrier. I wouldn't say that it's gonna be a, a complete Detective. protectant, but it can definitely protect you to some point. But um, the most healthiest or strongest biomes probably wouldn't be able to withstand uh, you know, a large load of insult of whether it was C. diff or E. coli. Maybe a little bit, Um, most of us actually encounter or get in contact with pathogenic bacteria and viruses all the time. But we're completely unaware and we're completely unaffected because our our immune system and digestive tract is strong and able to withstand that kind of insult to some degree. Sure, so it all
0: varies. And then uh, Diane, if someone has food poisoning, can you catch it from them if you eat from their fork or their cup?
1: The, the technical answer could be yes, but you really do need a lot of um, transference. So if it's virus, you may need very little. But for bacteria, you do need a larger, so unless there's a visible amount of food on that fork, yeah. um, bacterial transmission from just sharing a fork is probably low. What's very common is the viruses. The viruses, they don't need very much. You don't need very much um, inoculation of the virus to be transferable, so if you did get food poisoning, it's most likely that it was a viral food poisoning that you contracted because uh, from a small contact like that. Okay,
0: and then Edward has a few more questions. Uh, which condiments need refrigerated?
1: Um, so most condiments like, like ketchup or mustard generally do not need to be refrigerated. I do too, what but yeah. Male, male, definitely, <laughs> male right? definitely does because okay. a lot of them uh, I know there's one line that's uh, vegetarian or vegan so there's mm-hmm. no egg but most of it does have some egg or dairy product in it, so they absolutely must be refrigerated, and that would be one that I would be an absolute sticker stickler <laughs> yes. on the expiration date. I would toss it out. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely.
0: But ketchup and mustard, you're saying, it does not have to be refrigerated.
1: Abso- yeah, they can be left out unrefrigerated, although mine sits in my refrigerator. <laughs> so
0: easier that way. All right, and then uh, Edward also wants to know: Can moldy food cause illness? For example, if one berry is moldy. Do they all have to be tossed?
1: Well, personally, I would toss it. Yeah. But we all know that a little bit of mold, as long as your immune system is intact and you're otherwise healthy, uh, will not cause uh, any significant harm. So um, you don't have to be. But although I am, <laughs> just kind of you don't have to be. Yeah, you don't, that, don't have to that, be. That's, okay. that's and, exactly and that's, right. That's
0: the thing with me as well. I mean, if I if I see a, a box of fruit or anything like that and I see any mold in there
1: I throw the whole thing out. The <laughs>
0: out because I've heard that molds you don't really see it and if it's there it's probably could be, be spread a lot more absolutely places. yes yeah all right cool so uh, Valley wants to know can probiotics and or digestive enzymes help you in digestion
1: so um, the probiotics are basically bacteria they're live bacteria that help in digesting some of the food or enzymes. Um, So it can help you in digestion, um, but most of us have a really good biome on our own, so most of us don't need that extra help. Um, but if you feel that you need that extra help, then those probiotics can offer some assistance, but most of us don't really need it.
0: Okay, best source of probiotics? It's all
1: natural. So best source of probiotics would be, you know, onions, garlic, cabbages, sauerkraut, they're just rich in natural um, probiotics. So. You know, I was thinking
0: about yogurt, is that is yogurt, yogurt Absolutely.
1: Well? I'm sorry, you, that's a great okay. point. Yeah, yogurt has natural lactobacilli, so it's a natural probiotic and mm-hmm. that's safe because it's FDA regulated, it's refrigerated, it's got an expiration date, so those are all very good as well.
0: Okay, great, and then Samia, how do I treat foodborne, foodborne illness symptoms?
1: So, if you are unfortunate enough to have contracted a foodborne illness, the best thing to do is as long as you don't have significant comorbidities, like you had a liver transplant or a heart transplant, as long as you're just otherwise normally healthy and not on immune suppressing medication, you just can do conservative measures. So, you want to be on a uh, bland diet, the what we call BRAT diet, bread, rice, applesauce, toast, bananas, um, chicken broth, soup, uh, veggie broth, whatever uh, you prefer. But just a bland diet, a lot of support, a lot of fluid. You wanna do a lot of fluid, a lot of people, um, grossly underestimate the amount of fluid that they lose from a, a gastroenteritis or a foodborne illness. They're vomiting up a lot of the fluid, they're losing a lot of f- fluid from below, and they may or may not have some insensible losses from the, the uh, fever.
0: Now, if you're, just like you said earlier, if you're having a fever and you can't move and you're sweating, is that when maybe you even see a physician at that point?
1: Well, so it all kind of depends on your safety, comfort level. I I strongly believe that nobody knows your body better than yourself. So if your gut tells you something is seriously wrong, don't mess around go to the emergency room and get yourself checked out if you do have the fever and you're vomiting and you're having the worst bout of gastroenteritis of your life but otherwise you're you know you're not having chest pains, you're not short of breath you think you're doing it as long as you're able to keep food or liquids down then it's safe um, because you can try to hydrate at home uh, because at the end of the day if it's a simple gastroenteritis there is no magic wand in the emergency room it just has to kind of play its course so You got to release the other toxins through whether it's through a diarrhea or a vomiting phase. It just has to kind of be eliminated from your body. What's important is that you are able to maintain adequate blood flow circulation um, throughout this illness. So make sure that you can hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. If your nausea is so severe that you're unable to keep any fluids down, then that's the time whether you want to or not, you really do need to seek medical help because then they can put an IV in your arm and give you all the fluids and electrolytes that you desperately need. Uh, So again, just water alone isn't sufficient in this kind of scenario, your potassium, sodium, those levels are critically important for a good circulatory system and good um, maintaining your uh, neurologic system as well.
0: Great, thank you. All right, just a few more questions for you. I have Kendall, is the last thing you ate always the cause of the illness? And I guess I'll add to that, it's really the timing of food poisoning. Is it immediate or does it take a while?
1: It depends on what the culprit is. Yeah. So if it's, you know, for example, the common uh, food poison like bacillus cirrus, it, it tends to be a lot quicker, mm-hmm. so within two to four hours. Mm-hmm. But there are some foodborne illnesses that are latent, meaning they have to reproduce in your system, then they have mm-hmm. to produce, reproduce and get to a large load. So that may not present until... 12, 16 hours later. So wow. it's not necessarily always the last thing you ate. Okay. Um, it, it all depends on the culprit, whether it, whether it's virus or bacteria, but even bacterias, depending on the bacteria, uh, will vary the onset of presentation, whether it's, whether it's one to two hours versus 12 to 16 hours. 12 to 16 hours, that
0: would be hard to tell after.
1: Well, there's another virus, the hepatitis A virus, that's oh. a foodborne illness. Um, that can take a couple of days to couple present. Days. Yeah, and you will get very ill. You, you can even turn ja- yellow and jaundice. Uh, mm-hmm. We had an outbreak of hepatitis A several years ago and it was linked to uh, strawberries and raspberries that were poorly washed, that was shipped. And but when the CDC um, discovered it, they did make sure, you know, it was, it's the one from X uh, certain uh, farm right. um, and the production number, and it was located in the southwest uh, of mm-hmm. the region.
0: And this thing with, with strawberries, the seeds are on the outside, it's that, very exposed. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah. So the hard things are, you know, alfalfa sprouts used to be very common in sub-shops, uh, but now most sub-shops have just decided not to deal with the risk at all, and alfalfa sprouts are very difficult to wash, because if you it wash it out. adequately, you destroy yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, I find raspberries the same way, because I, I wash mine very vigorously, and then when you try to present it to your guests, it, it looks it's all falling apart. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> strawberries are a little bit sturdier so I do you can wash that a little bit harder but you know things like blueberries they're hard to wash as well so they have tricks Um, you can buy those special uh, sprays for fruits and veggie washes or you can make them yourself you just put them in a colander soak them in whether it's b- as baking soda or salt once you put them on there you wash it until you can't see the baking soda or salt anymore then oh. then you know you did your job oh, uh, another person uses vinegar if you can still smell or taste the vinegar then you didn't wash enough <laughs> so there are little uh, easy ways to wash them yourself at home without buying those fancy kits
0: Okay, right. and organic doesn't mean not contaminated. Definitely. That's important to know. Okay, and Amanda, uh, is foodborne illness caused by food that's spoiled or bad?
1: Um, not necessarily. So you could have a non-spoiled chicken, a raw chicken. Um, it's the way it's cooked. It's the way it was cooked, absolutely. Uh, and that can because uh, foodborne illnesses. So it's not necessarily rotten or spoiled food. It could be perfectly good food. It was just improperly handled.
0: And there was, uh, just like we were talking about the uh, goldfish crackers, there's contaminated flour. I mean, these things are, you, you don't know what's going right. on
1: with them. Right, right, whether it's the flour it. or the cheese powder, um, because, you know, dairy products, you just have to be very careful at how it was handled, processed, stored, I mean refrigerated, and transported to your local stores. Right.
0: All right, one more question for you. Um, is there, or Di- sorry, Diane, um, she asks, if there is mold on cheese, is it safe to use it if you cut it off? It reminds me of the question earlier.
1: Right yeah, well, you know, Ooh. blue cheese is basically mold. Oh. <laughs>
0: so good. So, <laughs> so yeah, good so
1: move. I... Um, so
0: how do we get away with that? How do we get away with mold on blue cheese and say it's okay, for, or like gargonzola cheese... Sure. ...versus what So
1: Diane that goes all towards processing. So if it was pasteurized the right way and it was molded the correct way mm-hmm. <laughs> certain kinds of modes are okay but you know if you get parmesan cheese and you see green mold on it then it's time to chuck the whole thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do that, please.
0: all right thank you so much for joining us sure today. thank it's you for having me thank you and for more information on cleveland clinic's digestive disease and surgery institute visit clevelandclinic.org digestive and to schedule an appointment please call 216-444-7000 and to stay up to date on health news and information from cleveland clinic make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, username Cleveland Clinic, one word. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.